All right, so we're jumping into the Spirit-filled life uh, uh, message today, and we're going to be looking in John chapter 3. Uh, John chapter 3 is, is um, the, the account of Jesus and Nicodemus. I want to offer some context, and then we'll jump in, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Um, in, uh, in John chapter 3, it's a, Nicodemus is coming to Jesus, and he's coming to Jesus because uh, Jesus has come on the scene in a remarkable way. He's the new guy at the office, and everybody's talking about him. Um, if the new guy at the office had turned water into wine and had just trashed the church. <laughs> right? That's kind of a great way to start your ministry, right? If I had like done a miracle with alcohol and then I trashed the church, <laughs> you're like, that guy, we got to figure out what he's up to. And so his minute, he's growing in influence. People are looking at him. His teaching is being heard and, and repu- his reputation is getting out ahead of him. People are talking about him. They're challenged by him. They're, they're interested and intrigued what his message is. What is he really here to do? I mean, what he said is right and what he's doing is powerful. But really, what's his motivation? Why is he doing this? Why is he acting this way? So Nicodemus walks up to Jesus at the cubicle. And that brings us to John chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that, you're a, that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel at what I said to you. You must be born again. This is God's word to us. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us today. To recognize the need for an awakening to the reality of your presence, your purpose and your plan, not just for us, but for yourself and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to talk about a concealed question, a confusing response, and then the clarification that Jesus brings. We learn a little bit about Nicodemus in the introduction to chapter 3. He says that he's one, a man of the Pharisees and he's a ruler of the Jews. Now, I have preached and, and you may have heard preached about Pharisees, that they were legalistic, that they were very vigorous in their rules and they were very oppressive to people who didn't follow all of their rules. And those things are true. But I want to cut Nicodemus some slack this morning. I actually, I want to cut all the Pharisees some slack this morning because they were just trying to do what was right. In a very real way, they were studying the law, they were studying their culture, and they were doing everything that they could do to preserve the way of God. The things that God prioritized. Now, they they missed it on some stuff, but they had it on some stuff. I think of it much like I think of my college experience in the very beginning. I, I was passionate about God. I knew that I had truth, and I wanted other people to have the truth that I wanted. But there was a lot of me mixed into it, so it was confused. There was a a lot of self-ambition and a lot of self-righteousness merged in with the truth of the gospel. And so when I was talking to people, I wanted them not just to know that Jesus is right and true. I wanted them to know that I was right and true about him. (laughs) You ever felt that way? You didn't actually just want the person to know that they were wrong. You want them to know that you are right. 
And that's the problem, and that's the, <laughs> it's pretty much the cause of most arguments, right? Like, <laughs> there's two realities existing at the same time, and both of them are probably wrong. There's, there's my story, and then your story, and then there's the truth, right? And so, and so he, it, needs, it needs to get reframed. But um, so he's a skilled man. He's a ruler of the Jews. I mean, this guy has come to some level of status. So he's not, he's not a foolish man. He's not an ignorant man. He's, he's a man who's learned. He's a man who has significant standing in the culture. He's a man who has the respect of people. And um, I think that, you know, sometimes we, we start, every time we see the word Pharisee, we, we start booing in our soul. I, you might not, but I kind of do. I'm like, oh, you're about to get it, Nicodemus. Jesus is going to give it to you because you're, you're an awful man. And then I'm like, oh, wait a second. I'm a lot more like Nicodemus than I really want to readily admit uh, in more ways than I probably even realize. But Nicodemus either drew the short straw from the other Pharisees and they were like, bro, you got to go ask this question because we're not going to do it. (laughs) Or he was interested on his own accord and he came to Jesus. He came to Jesus at night. and And in this way, it was a concealed question. Right? He went at a time when nobody would have been able to see him go. His, his, his approach to Jesus, his coming to Jesus wouldn't have been seen by, by anyone else. And so that's why I feel like he either, you know, he, he's not bold about it. He's not walking up to him in the market and being like, so hey, the water and wine thing, pretty cool. Uh, flipping the tables over, dumping the coins out, telling everybody not to turn it into a trading post, pretty intense. What's motivating you? Right? Instead, he's like, I'm going to approach Jesus at night when nobody can see me approach. And sometimes we, sometimes the questions that we have, uh, we, we ask them in, in secret because we're afraid that we're the only ones that, that are thinking it. You know, the reality is if he, I'm, I'm so grateful that this got accounted for because we can know that these questions got asked because in, in John 3, like what we're about to, to read is the beginning. The re- he came to him at night with this secret question and we got that most famous loved verse of John three sixteen as a result of this question that was asked in darkness. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that anyone who loved... Right, got it. So, so we've got that because he asked this question in dark. And so that's why earlier I was saying, please, if you have questions about how to read your Bible, please just ask me because you're going to remind me about something that's important probably for all of us to know. And I won't cite you. I won't be like, yeah, Philip asked this question and I thought it was really dumb. So let's talk about how dumb Philip is. That's not going to be how this goes. You don't even know Philip. Philip might be a made up name. Right, Philip? Just kidding. <laughs> Right? So ask the question. So, so he comes and he asks this question in darkness. It's in, but the other way that this question is concealed is that he doesn't even ask a question. Did you notice that? Doesn't that first question, like, I call it a concealed question, but he didn't even ask a question. He just made a statement. He's like, he's like, Rabbi, we know you've come from God as a teacher, and no one can do this unless God is with him. And Jesus is like, I'm glad you asked. And then things escalate so fast. Right? It went from like, you're a good teacher to you got to be born again, bro. And Jesus is really what he's doing is he, we, you learn at the end of chapter 2 in, in verse 23 through 25 that Jesus knows the hearts of men. So as the man was approaching Jesus, it didn't matter what the man was going to say. God, Jesus knew what his motivation was. He knew what his heart was. He knew what his deepest question was. And his question came out as a compliment. <laughs> 
Because really, underneath it was a question. We know that you're a good teacher who's come from God. Right? Because if you're not from God, you're from Satan. And based on what you're doing, I can't decide which one you're a part of. The water and the wine thing. <laughs> right? Like if I was turning water into wine, you'd be like, he's either from God or from Satan. Depending on your denomination. <laughs> right? <laughs> he flipped over all the tables and poured out all the coins. He's either from God or from Satan. And so he makes this statement, Rabbi, <laughs> spiritual leader and teacher. He's like, give, like, give as many titles as you can. I talk, in the Life of, Freedom, uh, Life of Grace Life class this morning, I talked about a phone call I got where the guy called me pastor like eight times in the introduction. I used a different number. I'm using hyperbole. It's not a lie. It's just exaggeration. <laughs> so I'm going to tell it different next week. Deal with it. But, he, but he's like, hey, pastor, I'm just calling pastor because, you know, I wanted to, you know, pastor, let you know that pastor, these are some things that, because, you know, I just want, I really respect you, pastor, and you're, you're, I respect your ministry, and I respect who you are, pastor, and I'm, I'm doing these things. And I was like, so, just a question as your, as your pastor. <laughs> are you informing me or are you asking for my input? Because just by informing me that all of these decisions have been made and it's all already done, you really, you called me pastor like 323 times. See? <laughs> but you're not treating me as a pastor. Somebody asked me in the hallway just, just, uh, just the other day, they were like, so what do you want to be called? I was like, my name would be a great place to start. <laughs> right? Because there are, there are people who call me pastor but don't regard me as a pastor. They don't regard me as a shepherd or as one who has insight or input or hears from God and can help you hear from God. And then there are some people that call me things far worse than my given name. <laughs> don't call me names I, I like at all. But they'll listen if I have input or in, you know, insight that I want to share with them. If I see something in their life that, that they weren't aware of, I'm able to, to help them and inspire them. And they, they view me more as a pastor than the person who calls me pastor. Got it? So he comes to Jesus, pastor, 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 pastor. Maybe, right? And so, um, so it was concealed in, in, in that way. He never asked the question. Sometimes, sometimes we conceal questions by making statements. This is not an unusual thing, right? If I say those nachos look really good, I'm not just telling you they look good. I'm asking for some. <laughs> I want them. I don't... I don't care that your nachos look good. Give me some. Um, yeah, I remember this story my family laughs about because we were having ice cream on the, on the deck one night and this kid in the neighborhood was walking like on the perimeter of our, of our yard. We didn't have a fence. <laughs> there was no fence, but he like knew where the line was somehow. And he's walking on the line and then he turns on the line and he's like doing a perimeter of our deck. And he's like, sure looks like good ice cream. You know, and it's like, it is, buddy. Get out of here. Like a, but but it's, it's funny, right? But, you know, so you can make a statement, but concealing the question. Can I, can I have some? I'd like some. Please give me. Give me. I want, I want. You know, sometimes we're, we're making an observation, but it's, but it's really a demand. I mean, this morning I said to one of my children, will you make me some coffee? I, I, or no, can you make me some coffee? That wasn't really the question. It was really go make me some coffee. But my child was 
a literalist in that moment and was like, yeah, I can make you some coffee. I was like, you're totally missing the, the whole point of this conversation was because I'm going to blow a gasket if I don't get some caffeine in this brain of mine coursing through my veins. Just kidding. Not really. I'm just embarrassed. So, hey, the good news is that this account, even though it happened in the darkness of night, even though the question was concealed, they actually caught it on video. And uh, so just give your attention to the screen. Do you want to know what it is? The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. Isn't it cool they had cameras there? That's. <laughs> if you've ever wondered if Jesus is white or black, there's your. <laughs> there's your answer. <laughs> cameras were there, they were rolling. <laughs> uh, there is a, a reality that eludes us all until we take the red pill of faith. We take the red pill of faith of being born again, of being born of the Spirit, of being born from above is a more literal way of translating what Jesus told us to do. And then our eyes are open to something that we were blind to the whole time. All of a sudden, you can see that we were, God is moving in the midst of pain that had us handicapped. You could see that Jesus had purpose In suffering, you can see that there's meaning beyond the meaning that we ascribed 
uh, to certain activities or events or activities. You can, all of a sudden, you get to understand things about our lives and the way that we live. And, and we understand that there are things that are eternal and significant that we can sow into that are going to last forever. And then there are things that we can give our lives to that will be gone tomorrow. Right? We see it in this phasey, hazy kind of way. Where Have you ever looked at a, uh, at a 3D comic without 3D glasses? It's got the extra blue lines and... and, and and red lines all over it. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's really confusing to look at. And then you slip the 3D glasses on, and then all of a sudden, the image makes sense. You go through your life, and you, it, doesn't, it doesn't make sense. What is my purpose? Why am I here? What is the meaning? Why, why school? Why family? Why kids? Why marriage? Why holiness? Why righteousness? Why the Bible? Why friendship, even? Why today? And you can experience all of those things at a surface level, but there's a kingdom experience and an eternal purpose to all of these things that we experience that that we're not awakened to until we're born of the Spirit of God. And Jesus responds to Nicodemus, and this, this response would have been shocking to Nicodemus because he's saying, be born again. Hey, Jesus, I understand that maybe the woman at the well needs to be born again. Her life is messed up. I understand that maybe Zacchaeus, he was a tax collector. Maybe he needs to be born again. He's messed up. But me, Jesus, I'm, I'm a ruler. I'm, I studied the Bible. I studied the scriptures. I'm a holy man. I'm a righteous man. And you're telling me I need to start over? Are you giving me, are you kidding me? I'm great. And don't, don't we all feel that way a little bit? Like people who aren't great like me need to repent. That's for people who are doing bad things. I do good things. Because even when I do bad things, I do it right. (laughs) Even when I do wrong things, my heart's in the right place, so I get an A for effort. No, repentance, being born again, that's for people who are a mess. No, this this is for everyone. This is for every single one of us that there's this, this above and, and superseding reality to everything that we see and know and do. There's richness and depth and relationship that you haven't experienced yet until you're born of the Spirit. And for some of us, we've been walking with Jesus so long, we forgot that that's available to us. We just, we just took off the glasses one day because our eyes were tired and then we set it down and we walked away and we're like, oh, I guess life is just like everybody else's life. Well, no, put your glasses back on. Look and see that the kingdom of God is this eternal thing. That's not, uh, it's, it, the kingdom of God and salvation and being born again is trying to communicate to us that there's a reality available to us right now, not just when we die. And sometimes we feel like Jesus is just entrance into heaven when we die, and, but we just got to suffer until we get there. The reality is the kingdom of heaven is available for us right now. And for, for those of you who are born again and living according to the Spirit of God, you're not just benefiting from anything that I'm saying right now, but the Holy Spirit is also speaking to you. My wife's notes, she comes home on a Sunday, and she's like, you know, I'll peek at her notes when she's, you know, turned around. And I'm like, man, God is good. Because I didn't say that. <laughs> God is so faithful. 
but she's aware of and open to her eyes are tuned to her ears are tuned to the spirit of God that we're born into the kingdom of heaven to which we are citizens or of which we're citizens. It's like a magic eye, right? You know, you, where, you, where it's, it's there all along and you just don't see it and then your eyes come into focus and you're like, oh, there's a dinosaur behind all those little dinosaurs. Do they do, dino, do, they do those anymore? Magic eyes? No? Dang. It was such a good illustration in my head. By the way, you know what The Matrix is, right? That movie, that wasn't really a camera of Jesus and Nicodemus. <laughs> Matrix is a movie from 1999 for some of the younger people in the room. They didn't have HD cameras then. Just low resolution ones. <laughs> Nicodemus responds, is this, is this even possible? Do I need, how, do I, how can I possibly be born again? Am I going to climb back inside my mom and get born again? What, like, he's not an idiot. This is a learned man. He's saying, I'm a grown man. How can I start over? Is this even possible for me? Do you feel that way about yourself sometimes? It might be too late for me to start over. This is the way I've always done it. This is the way I've always thought about it. The idea of being born again, that's terrifying. I might have to change the way that I do something. I might have to change my language. I might have to change my my behavior. I might have to change the way that I think. Is this even possible? Is this a reality for me? Absolutely. Because it's a reality that comes from the outside to the inside and then works itself outward in you. Right? It's not dependent on you just all of a sudden changing all of your thoughts. We're not saying, hey, change all of your thoughts about everything. And surrender the Holy Spirit. Surrender to God. Invite his Holy Spirit to dwell inside of you and he'll begin to to open you up to the reality of the kingdom of heaven that has been here all along. A lot of times what we're doing is we're just, we're kicking against the kingdom of heaven and we just don't know what it is. We're kicking up against spiritual walls and doors and boundaries that God set up to protect us and to keep us safe. We don't realize it, so we kick against it and we hate it and we despise it. But when our eyes get open to the spiritual reality, we're like, oh, that's a gate to protect me. You know, what dog likes its leash? Right? It's like, I'm trying to keep you from running in the road, Fido. Right? And Fido's never going to understand that. Fido's going to die hating the leash for all of their life. Did I just call us dogs? <laughs> Probably a better illustration. Jesus isn't offended by his question or the challenge. His answers, after all, can be confusing. They can be confounding. Right? So he... he, he asks a question by not asking it, and then Jesus answers it by giving a confusing answer. And sometimes when we ask God for something, he'll, he'll give us an answer that doesn't seem to make sense to us on the surface. Right? You know, it's like, God, what should I do about my finances? And, and it'll be like, forgive that person over there. God, what should I do about this, about this job opportunity that I've got? I'm really confused. I have no idea how to do it. Call your mom and apologize. Honor your mother and father and it'll be well with you. 
well, God, I'm asking you about this job opportunity and you're talking to me about my, about my parents. This is kind of confused, kind of frustrating. Can apologizing to my mom get me this promotion? Can a man climb into his mom and be born again? And so the answers that God gives sometimes are really confusing and it's frustrating because you ask for this and he answers with this and you're like, well, he obviously didn't hear me because he's not answering my question. No, he's answering the, he's answering the question you should have asked. Right? Like Nicodemus should have walked up and said, hey, eternal life, teach me. <laughs> Don't waste your time talking around it. Come on, hit me straight. Nicodemus probably didn't even know how to do it. So God will take our, comp, our, our complaints. He'll take our complaints. He'll take, he'll take whatever we've got. At least we're talking to him. And then he's going to give us an answer. And then it, what, what's, um, what's beautiful to me is that he's satisfied to describe and explain it to him. <laughs> like, I know, Nicodemus. I answered the question that you didn't even know you had. So I'll help you all. I'll start to describe it. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Truly, truly is like saying very. It's, a, it's making it explicit. It's making it as big and as certain as, as it could possibly be made. It's, um, you know, he doesn't say truly, truly much. It's almost like the Old Testament version or the New Testament version. In the, in the Old Testament, prophets would come and they'd share a message and they'd say, thus says the Lord. Instead of saying, thus says me, Jesus would say truly, truly or verily, verily, I say to you, says that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit don't be amazed that i tell you that you must be born again and then he continues to talk about where the spirit goes and how the spirit moves and nicodemus asks another follow-up question and then jesus goes off and we get to see that for god to love the world all of that was clarification for the thing that jesus knew that he needed to know Jesus is telling Nicodemus, someone who had committed his life to the highest, most pious standard possible available to him at the time that he needed to see things differently than he had ever seen it. Because he had done everything that was right according to himself, but not in accordance with the kingdom of heaven. Jesus was saying that his efforts weren't sufficient to experience the fullness of the kingdom of heaven. No amount of ceremony, no amount of expertise. Not the goodness that, that he had given his life to. Not the money that you give, the people that you help, the causes that you give yourself to aren't satisfactory to give you access to the kingdom of heaven. To allow you to be awakened to the reality of God's plan and purpose, not just for your life, but even bigger than that. In this clip from The Matrix, it's like it was everywhere. Everything that you looked at and everything that you experienced was only a shadow of what was most real. So today, we find ourselves in this place where we need to decide, am I born of the Spirit? Am I walking 
in the reality of being born in the Spirit. You know, we don't see an immediate response in Nicodemus in this account, but he shows up again in John chapter 7. In John chapter 7, the Pharisees, everybody's arguing, and he's like, guys, I just, you might want to pump the brakes. There's something about this dude. I visited him at night. <laughs> There's something about his authority. There's something about what he's doing. We should, we should pay attention. We should listen. And then he was there when after Jesus was, he, he helped bury Jesus after the crucifixion. He's listed with the guy whose tomb was being used. And Nicodemus worked together to bury Jesus and to anoint the body with oils and everything else. We don't see the decision right there, but we do see that he's, he's figuring it out. And you want to know why that's encouraging to me? Because the altar call thing that we're about to do <laughs> isn't prescribed in the, in the Bible the way that we do that. It's a cultural thing. I'm going to encourage you to raise your hand if you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus and be awakened to the reality of the kingdom of heaven. We're going to do that. But Jesus didn't say, go tell people to pray a prayer to raise their hand and, you know, come up to the front if they're really contrite and they need some prayer. What he said to do is go and make disciples. And so you see this account with Nicodemus and Jesus and then you see Nicodemus again and you see Nicodemus again and you see Nicodemus again. Well, really just twice, but we can assume that if he was there for the burial of Jesus that he was hanging around and he was among the disciples who who would, Jesus would have shown himself to, of the 500 that he showed himself to after, after he resurrected. The big thing for you and I today to be awakened to the reality of the kingdom isn't just to have a moment this morning on a Sunday morning where we're like, God, save me from myself. Save me from my own good works. I, wanna, I, want, I, want, I want to see the kingdom of heaven. I want to be in the kingdom of heaven. I want to live in the kingdom of heaven. I want to experience the kingdom of heaven. I want to belong to you, Right? Not just today, but tomorrow and the next day and the next day and in five years and in 10 years and in 15 years because you're going to mess up this week. And if you're only committed for today or you're only committed for as long as you're good at being good, it's not going to last very long. But as long as we're committed to being a disciple and saying, hey, I'm going to follow you. I know I'm going to mess up a bunch, but I'm committed to following you forever. That's the kind of thing that he's interested in. Does that make sense? Titus 3.5 says that he saved us not on the basis of the deeds that we've done in righteousness, but according to the mercy of God by washing of regeneration and renewing by his Holy Spirit. You hear the phrase to be born again. What does it really mean? It means to be awakened to the reality of the eternal kingdom in this life. And that's what's available for us today. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that you would awaken us to the reality of your kingdom. Save us, God, from our own efforts, from everything that we deserve by our own work. Regenerate our spirits. Give us life where we have death. Open our eyes to the reality of your kingdom. If there's anybody here this morning 
You, you're born of the, we've all been born of the flesh. We all live fleshly lives. We all see the world around us. Some of us are what would be called morally good. Some of us are called what would be morally bad. Some of us are called bad, but we're better than we think people give us credit for. <laughs> Some of us are called good, but we're really worse than people give us credit for. And you don't want to just live the life in the flesh anymore, but you want to live life in the spirit. Can you raise your hand? I want to pray with you today. See that hand. After you put your hand up, you can put it back down. Thank you. You know, it's not by the raising of our hands that we're saved, but it's by the declaration of faith. It's through surrender. So if you raised your hand, or even if you didn't, you're sitting here in the safety of night. You didn't raise your hand, you didn't raise your hand but your heart is wondering. Your heart is crying out. Just, just pray with me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I surrender. I've been living a worldly or fleshly life. But today, I surrender to you. I receive your forgiveness and your love. I receive the regenerating, the renewing power of your Holy Spirit. And I ask that you would wake me up to the reality of your spiritual kingdom, your kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name.